Good morning, good morning. So it is almost July 4th, right? I guess we're a week out. They're selling fireworks already. And uh, my son has picked out all these kind of elaborate little rocket things that he wants to get. And um, I know that July 4th is about much more than that. But for a lot of people, that's kind of their big thing that they remember. But July 4th is about our celebrating our freedom, right? Our freedom, our independence as a, as a country. And what better time to have a two-week series on freedom. That's why I picked it. I picked them. I see. That's very clever. That's that's the last clever thing you'll see me do. But hey, that's what I've got this morning. No, I want to speak about freedom and not just freedom in general, but freedom in Jesus Christ. Our freedom in Jesus Christ. Darn it, I forgot to get my clicker. I might need that uh, unless you want to keep advancing every slide when I ask you to. But Freedom in Christ, what does that mean? And uh, that's the big question. Not only what does it mean, but what does it look like? And so while we're waiting for my clicker, if you guys want to advance to the next slide, this is where we're going to have the audience participation portion of, of our sermon. Actually, you can participate at any point. You can boo or throw things at me, whatever. But... We're going we're gonna to do some, some photos here, and this is where you tell me what you think this photo represents, and the winner, each photo, you get 10 points. And losers, don't worry, the points don't mean anything, but <laughs> you get 10 points nonetheless. So, first one, what is this? Patriot, someone gets 10 points out there. Good job, 10 points. So this is a scene from Patriot, right? This is what we think of freedom, right? This is American Revolution, killing all these, all the British, and here we go. Okay, next one. Is this freedom in Christ, by the way? No, this isn't what we talk about when we talk about freedom. This is good freedom, but this isn't what we mean when we say freedom in Christ. How about this next one? Anyone? What is this? Party like it's 1999. I love it. I just had to throw in the 1999 up there in the corner. This is a certain kind of freedom. It has some serious consequences sometimes. But is this what we mean when we say freedom in Christ? It's not. All right. How about this one? Uh, This is Joel Olstein's house. I'm teasing. It's not. I don't know. It's... (laughs) Some fancy house I picked up. This is what some people think is freedom in Christ. But it's not, right? Who's this? All right, good. We got some old movie buffs here. Jeremiah Johnson. Some people, freedom freedom is, I'm just going to go off in the mountains all by myself. No one's going to bother me, live by my own rules. While that is a, a certain admirable freedom, if you can find anywhere on earth that you could do that, that's not freedom in Christ. And this last one is probably my favorite. It's kind of a combination of all of the above. (laughs) I just had to throw it in there. The QAnon shaman. that's That's their exercise of freedom as they understand it, but that's not freedom in Christ as as the Bible defines it. So what what is freedom in Christ? And specifically, what is it that we that Christ brings us freedom from? He brings us freedom from sin and death. That's, that's ultimately, most simply what it is. But here's the, here's the basic story of freedom in Christ. Number one, all humans are sinners. All humans are judged by God according to his standard of righteousness, and we all fail. 
So we all need a way to be unified with God, a way that we, amongst, with our own uh, strength, cannot provide. We cannot obtain peace with God through our own strength. That is key, through our own efforts. Peace with God, okay? We're going to come back to that. So Jesus sacrificed himself to pay for our sins. He was the only perfect human who was fully human and fully God. He paid the penalty for our sins. If we accept his salvation through faith, and we then, we, uh, not by earning it, but by accepting his free, gra- his free gift of grace, then we are unified with God. And, and we have peace with God. That is the basic uh, story of what we understand to be not only the reason we need salvation, but how Jesus provides salvation for us, and that that is the, the step, the first step in achieving freedom through Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin and death. So, to get there, we go on a little journey. And if, if you ever want to just review uh, this, this scripture that I tend to come back to often when I'm doing kind of a study of what are the basic foundations of our doctrine as Christians, go to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And he talks about the elementary principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He actually says, okay, we're, we're now, we're, we've, we've covered the basics, and now we're going to go on to maturity. We don't need to lay again this foundation. But in that, he lists six things that, that I've always followed that scripture as basic things you have to understand about being a Christian. The first is repentance from dead works, then faith toward God, teaching on baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The reason for that is repentance from dead works. What does that mean? It means trying to, on my own, through my own uh, goodness, through my own rules, through my own do the do's and don't do the don'ts, be good enough for God, to be accepted by God because of who I am. That's dead works. You cannot be good enough for God as a, as a sinful human being. So the first thing you need to do to accept the Savior is repent from that, to say, I can't do it. As Romans says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Accepting that and then uh, and then through and faith toward God, faith, the gift of faith that he gives us to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that then is, a, is when we go into what's called teachings on baptisms. So there's a lot of baptisms. I'm not, I'm not going to, I've taught lessons, messages on this before. We will do so again. But there are many baptisms. There's actually four baptisms that are commonly discussed in the, first, in the New Testament. The first one is the baptism that John the Baptist actually brought people uh, to the River Jordan. And he was preaching before Jesus. That was a baptism of repentance. That was a baptism of him bringing people saying, you need a savior and the deadness of the law is not going to work. Then when Christ came, he brought in three different baptisms, three ways of, 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 of accomplishing or expressing salvation. The first is the baptism in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is your actual salvation of your spirit by accepting Jesus Christ as your savior. 
There's also the baptism in the Holy Spirit that uh, we, we encourage all Christians to seek because that is the way in which the, the Holy Spirit begins cleansing our soul through sanctification, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And then we have water baptism, which we've had recently, which is a little different than the water baptism that John the Baptist did. John the Baptist was doing water baptism as a, as a way of, of, of bringing people to repentance to seek the Savior. His whole purpose in being there was to prepare Israel to accept the Savior who was coming after him very shortly, who was Jesus. The water baptism we do is a public profession of our faith that we are Christians, that we trust in God, and it's identifying with Jesus through going down in the water and coming up, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection, and then also an expression of hope that when we go to heaven, we will have a glorified heavenly body. So those are the baptisms, and understanding those baptisms, then you understand that first and foremost and most important is the baptism of Jesus Christ, by which we become Christians, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But before we get deep into that, we got to talk about the first one, repentance from dead works, because when we talk about Christ bringing freedom to us, it is the freedom from sin and death But then to walk as a Christian, he wants to bring us freedom from dead works. And too many times in throughout the Bible and in today's church, we kind of keep getting sucked back into that dead works thing because we're struggling with how to be a Christian. So let's, let's, let's lay out this freedom in Christ uh, in, in a little more detail. I'm not going to read this entire section of scripture because it's very long. But I would recommend on your own, read Romans chapter 2 through chapter 7 and, and see how he lays out, how Paul lays out the, of how Christ brings freedom from sin and freedom from what, he, call, what, what is, he calls the law, which I'll talk about in a minute. First, in chapter 2, he mainly is focusing on the fact that God judges the unrighteousness of all people. And that in times past, the Jewish people uh, were given the law. God gave Moses the the law, the Ten Commandments, followed by a bunch of other rules of here's how you're supposed to live your life. And what what he explains throughout the Bible and, and Paul explains is that the law, this great big list of rules, was not given to us for us to be perfect. We could not be perfect even uh, if we fulfilled all this. And he says, and no one could fulfill the law. It was that difficult. The purpose of the law was to show people, to reveal sin, and to show people that they needed to instead have a relationship of faith and repentance and uh, grace from God. That's what, that's what chapter 2 is all about. And then chapter 3 is all about how righteousness actually comes by faith, not by following the rules. And he goes back to Abraham. Abraham was the founder of the Jewish faith. And, and the Bible says, Abraham believed in God. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. The fa- Abraham's faith is what God uh, rewarded with a, with a basically viewing of him as righteous. Okay? It was not that Abraham followed all the rules. Because he didn't. He was a sinful person just like us. But because he had faith toward God. That's always been the, the, what God is looking for in a relationship with people. So Romans chapter 4, oh, I skipped ahead. So Romans 3 and 4 both cover that, okay? Then chapter 5 is about 
how we obtain peace. Remember way at the beginning I said, how do we obtain peace? We can't do it through ourselves. We obtain peace with God through accepting Jesus Christ, his son, and his sacrifice to take the penalty of our sins. Because in Romans chapter 3, it says, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So if we've sinned, then, then basically we don't meet up to God's standard, and it's okay. Death is actually your punishment. Jesus took away that punishment by, t- by his suffering all of uh, our deaths on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. So that's what chapter uh, 5 is about. So now we get into this freedom in Christ that I want to talk about. Chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Romans. And that is, we are dead to sin. Why are we dead to sin? Because we're not, we've, Jesus took away the, the, the penalty of sin from us, and he took away the power that sin holds over us. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are, in fact, slaves to righteousness in God, which we'll talk about in a minute. We are released from the law. So that's why he laid that foundation way back in chapter 2, 3, and 4 about what the law was. The law was not God's plan for how we should live our lives. It was God's way of showing us that we can't be perfect on our own and we need a Savior. He wants us to have a relationship of faith and grace with him. We are no longer if we believe in Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin and we're no longer slaves to the law. And we're going to come back to that. Here's the problem. This all sounds great, doesn't it? This all sounds like this, you know, amazing, you become a Christian and everything's wonderful, but it isn't because we still struggle against sin in our lives. So J.R. or Jason, I'm sorry, Jeff the last couple weeks was teaching about that, about the struggle of sin in the church and struggle of sin among Christians. And, and so this is kind of a t- now next step of that. We struggle with sin as Christians. Why? This doesn't make sense. This is, the, this, is this great struggle and conundrum of being a Christian is how we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the law. We are sons and daughters of God We are slaves to righteousness, and yet we battle with sin in our lives. All the time. Every one of us does. None of us is exempt from that. Why? Well, let's talk about that. Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Before we do that, I want to cover a couple of key verses that highlight these five chapters, uh, highlighted from these five chapters that we just went over. The first one is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And I'll read these out loud. I realize that font might be a little small. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. So let's come back to that word in a few minutes. Justified. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So now that we are saved, God views us The Bible says God views us uh, with the righteousness of Jesus' blood. He looks at us and he sees his children. Okay? So now that we have, now that we're in that position, should we just go ahead and sin freely like that party like it's 1999? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So don't think, we used to call that, the nickname was Greasy Grace. 
Don't think that we can just go, oh, well, I'm Christian, so I can go out and do whatever I want because it doesn't matter. That will bring destruction in your life. Now, a little bit later in Romans chapter 6, he says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. If we have died in Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. This is more of that freedom. This is freedom in Christ. Not freedom to do anything you want. Not freedom to, to, to well, God told me I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to have, you know, millions, so therefore I have millions. Uh, not, not free to uh, go off and, and just abandon all responsibility and be your own person. Free from the law of sin and death. And free from the captivity of the law. And then finally, Romans chapter 7. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. That sounds great. What's the very next thing that Paul tells us? He tells us, I'm a complete failure. (laughs) I can't do this. Read the rest of Romans chapter 7. For I keep trying to do the good things, and I can't do them. And then I try to not do the bad things, and I keep doing them. And this war is going on within me, and I'm captive to sin. This is a man who is just taught how you're no longer a slave to sin. You are dead to sin. You're no longer under the law. You're free in Christ. And he's one of the great Christian leaders of all time. And then he finishes the chapter by saying, I'm a captive to sin. I am a wreck. Look at this last line. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can identify with that. I hope all of you can. If not, go look, yourself at a, go look at yourself in a cleaner mirror because this is us, all right? This is the struggle of Christian life. In, in this right here, in these last few chapters of, of Romans, it's a struggle that we can all identify with. And the struggle often leads us to these thoughts of defeatism. God is disappointed in me. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Or maybe I'm no longer a Christian. Or looking at ourselves or often looking at our fellow failures, what a hypocrite. They say one thing and they do another. Those are the defeatist talk, the defeatist statements who, of someone who does not understand freedom in Christ and salvation through this simple concept I'm going to show you next. What is the difference between justification and sanctification? When, we talked about those baptisms, right? When you are baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ, your spirit, the eternal part of you that goes on forever and will live in heaven someday, is cleansed. God's, God makes a declaration to you that you, your sins are forgiven and that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to you, is put upon you. How does this happen? 
It happens because, first of all, of faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Faith that God gives us, not we don't earn. Our spirit is perfected. God does all the work, and it's completed instantly by His grace. That's justification. That's the name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. You are a Christian, okay? And you just saw through these verses we just looked at a bunch of times when he mentions justified by faith, okay? Sanctification, not so easy. Sanctification is a progressive work of God partnering with you that makes us more free from sin and more like Jesus Christ in our actual lives on earth. So how does this work? It happens through prayer, fellowship with other believers, reading the word, walking in the Holy Spirit. It's a long journey in our soul. Our soul is the part, me speaking to you right now, your emotions, your thoughts, your uh, dreams, the human part of us that goes on and does everything we're doing on earth. Here's the bad news on this. Number one, it's a lot more work and it requires your work as well as God's. And number two, it's never complete until we go to heaven. You will never be completely perfect on this earth. Because your soul is still being sanctified. So here's, here's what happens. Is if, if, you're, if you're battling, if you're struggling, if you're going back to Romans, the end of Romans chapter 7, and saying, I keep failing at this, what am I going to do? <clears throat> and you begin to have those thoughts, maybe God doesn't love me anymore, maybe I'm not a Christian. Remember, God still loves you. You're still a Christian. God's not surprised at all, by the way, that you're sinning, because everyone before you has done it, and everyone after you will do it as well. God wants to engage with you in that battle in your soul for sanctification, to cleanse you through the washing of the water of the word, to, to empower you through the Holy Spirit, to understand his plans for you and to give you spiritual gifts, to have you fellowship with other believers so we build each other up, to have you have a fervent prayer life so that you can commune with God and he can commune with you. That's where the struggle is. So by understanding that, Remember, we saw this. We saw what happened with Paul. We saw what he was saying to the Romans. He said the exact same thing to the Galatians. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Isn't this an amazing verse? I just love this verse. For, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. So stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians, the people in Galatians, the church that he was speaking to, began their walk in understanding the grace of Christ and in living free, in freedom, and then they returned to slavery. And why do they do that? Because this. They said, repentance from dead works? Nah, we're not going to follow that. You have a temptation as a Christian, when you're struggling, you have a temptation to do one of two things. Think back to Exodus. Think back to when the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt. They were delivered from the slavery of Pharaoh. They had a, a leader named Moses. Moses was a prophet of God. He was a man who, the Bible says he spoke face to face with God. It says that he was the most 
humble of all people on earth. Well, if you spoke face to face with God, you would be the most humble because the righteousness would overwhelm you. When things, when they cross the Red Sea, if you haven't read that, go back and read that story. But they cross the Red Sea. God brings the people of Israel into the desert. They're wandering in the desert. They're struggling. They're battling. They're having problems. <clears throat> that is an illustration for them of our salvation battle. Okay? Deliverance out of the slavery of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into a new land, is like salvation. The battles, the long toil, the having to rely upon God for food, the dissension, the who's in charge of this caravan, where are we going, all that stuff, that's illustrative of our walk as a Christian and and whether we are going to be sanctified, whether we're going to continue to surrender to God and become more like Him, or whether we're going to start wanting to return to our own devices. And what did the people of Israel do? They did two big things. One, they at one point rejected God and went back to serving a false God. And at one point they said, we're afraid of God. We do not want a close relationship with God like Moses has. You be the intermediary between us and God and give us rules to live by. Okay? So they They wanted a set of rules to live by that they were comfortable with rather than the intensity and the fear and the wonder of having a close personal relationship with God. We often do the same thing. As Christians, we're saved. But we're battling with this whole walk walk of a Christian where we're failing and we're committing sins and we're saying, I don't want to do this. And we're, that's the sanctification battle. And because people often don't understand that you're in the sanctification battle that will continue your life and it requires you to surrender on a daily basis that life to God, people are tempted to do one of two things. Either one, give in fully to sin and just give up and say, all right, I can't do this. I'm just going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go back to my slavery in Egypt. Or the other thing they do is they say, I'm really struggling. I don't understand this walk with God thing. I'm going to go ahead and create a structure of rules of how Christians are supposed to live. Our modern day mosaic law. And I'm going to follow those rules. And... I can live in a, I can go to a church where they don't really challenge me too much and I can just follow my rules of, of I, I tithe, some people tithe, some people don't. I tithe, I go on, on Sunday, I, uh, you know, I try not to, whatever, covet my neighbor's wife, whatever you want to say. <laughs> There's a whole long list, right? And I try to just live the rules and that's my Christian life. That's my substitution for going through this painful but life-giving sanctification journey. But even those rules, you can't follow them. And the Bible says that many people, that in that case, they have a form of godliness, but they lack the power thereof. So, <clears throat> we don't want to do that, do we? Because they're both slavery. They're both the slavery that God rescued us out of. You're, he says you're free from sin, and you're free from law. And those are two different forms of slavery. 
So let's, let's stay in the freedom of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, here's how we do it. We understand God's work within us. We're going to look at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. And this is exactly right. This is the next verse after Paul left off with that word, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this? The very next verse. Here's what he says. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Justification. You are a child of God because you believe in Jesus Christ. You're battling, you're failing, you're sinning. What's going to happen to me? I'm horrible. Next verse, there's no condemnation for you because you're in Christ Jesus. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. But I don't feel like I'm free from the law of sin and death. What does the next verse say? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, he's talking about all Christians, all who are saved and there is no condemnation. But now we're talking about sanctification. He's saying, you're battling, you're failing, you're struggling. Okay, first of all, remember, you're free in Christ. You do not have condemnation heaped upon you. But you've got to walk according to the Spirit. That's the help. He's the helper. He's the guy who is bringing us along saying, I'm going to rescue you, not just eternally someday in heaven, but in this life from the effects of law and sin and death. So then we go back to Galatians chapter 5. Remember what was happening in Galatians chapter 5? The exact same thing. They were originally, they were, they were Christians that were living in freedom. And then what they do? They went back and they said, we're uncomfortable with this. Give us the law back. Back to Galatians chapter 5, he says the exact same thing. He's the exact same thing that he said in Romans chapter 8. Walk by the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This, see this? He's, he's saying to them that they're struggling with the same thing that he was in, in the end of Romans chapter 7. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That entire section is on how to live a Christian life through the journey of sanctification. Your own journey through the desert. The journey through the desert that the people of Israel had. They made the mistake of either giving in to sin, wanting to return to their slavery in Egypt. At one point they said, oh, take us back to Egypt and die. At least we'll know where, where we're going to be buried or something like that. Or... God, give us an artificial set of rules we can live by rather than having a personal relationship with you. He's, Paul's instructing them, don't make those mistakes. Follow that, stay on that sanctification journey. Stay on that journey of becoming more like Christ. And if God's not going to do all the work on this one, you've got to do the work. You've got to dedicate yourself to, to prayer, to reading the word, letting the word inhabit your heart to being within a fellowship of other believers. People say, well, I'm saved. I don't, my own church is out there or whatever. That's true. But guess what? 
out there on your own, you're not going to make it. I've said this so many times, people are getting tired of this, but the number one key to spiritual warfare is never fight alone. You fight alone, you're going to die. We're not all these spiritual Rambos out there. It doesn't work that way. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to be getting into a lot more detail on that, on that walk through the wilderness, that sanctification journey with, with Jesus, that, that uh, difficult thing that is, here's how you're going to live your life surrendering it to God. Why did I spend all this time prepping that lesson with this? Because don't listen to that next week and think that Corey's or the Bible's heaping condemnation upon us. Don't listen to that next week and go, oh, he's putting a new version of the law. Don't listen to that next week and think, if I don't follow these, these things, then I'm no longer a Christian. No. Today, the whole point of it is, we are justified by faith in Jesus. We have the freedom from the law. We have the freedom from sin. That's what Jesus promised. He didn't promise freedom from hard work. He didn't promise freedom from persecution. He didn't promise freedom from sacrifice. He actually promised we would have all those things. But that's the freedom in Christ because we are now his children. We are now walking with God. We are now walking towards his deliverance rather than towards the return of our slavery life, towards the return of rules we can't possibly follow, toward the return of sin that causes perpetual death and destruction in our families. That freedom comes It came as the price that Jesus paid, the ultimate price. But now that freedom we're walking in on a daily basis is going to come from our commitment, our continued commitment to God. But in doing so, remember, for freedom, Christ has set you free. That That understanding is essential to interpreting what, in fact, God wants of us. So this is what freedom looks like in Jesus Christ. It's not rampaging. It's not being a mountain man living out in the wilderness on your own. It's not being a multimillionaire. It's not fighting a battle against the bloody British. It's not all those things. It's surrender and submission to the Lord. And that's the walk and that's the freedom that God wants to give us.